Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Sports Rivals. I'm Gary Thorne. Our purpose here is to preserve the memories of classic sports rivalries, and we do it through the words of those who participated in them. When it comes to rivalries in college basketball, you'd be hard-pressed to find one that is more intense or enduring as UCLA and Arizona in the Pac-12. 42 of the last 58 Pac-12 titles have been won by either Arizona or UCLA. And in more recent years, from 85 through 98, Arizona has come away with eight of those titles and UCLA five. And it goes right on to the recent days of the last six years, Pac-12 titles. Well, they have gone to Arizona three times and UCLA once. So the decades of this rivalry continue. And today we've got two who have participated directly in that. Matt Mielbach played in Arizona from 87 to 92. They won or tied for the Pac-12 title in all four of the years that he was there. And his teams never lost a game at home. They went 64-0. and 0. For Don McLean at UCLA from 88 to 92, they won the Pac-12 championship in the 91-92 season. He still holds the Pac-12 scoring record with 2,000 608 points, and McLean went on to have an outstanding NBA career. These are two who participated in the high-intensity battles of this great rivalry of UCLA and Arizona. So I'm going to ask each of you, Matt, I'll start with you, just to, to try and give us a feel for what this rivalry is from one who has played in it. Well, thanks, Gary. I, I uh... You know, I, I've always said, and I've said this actually doing games as an announcer, that it's one of the top two or three in the nation. I mean, I, you know, there's no question in my mind Duke, Duke Caroline is, is the best rivalry in college basketball. But I think Arizona, UCLA, uh, you know, you probably have Kentucky, Louisville. But I think it's, you know, back in the 80s, it was Georgetown, uh, uh, Syracuse, of course. But I think the longevity, as you mentioned, the titles and the longevity of the players, the coaches, the history, certainly UCLA was, was way longer than Arizona, but then Arizona popped up in the eighties and was, you know, has been a top 10 program since. And, um, it, it's, it's on the West coast. It is the best rivalry has been the best rivalry, uh, for 30 years. And, um, and again, it's just, as I mentioned, classic coaches, classic players, uh, you know, a million NBA players. It seems like Don and I played against each other three of the, three of the years that I was playing. Um, Don was part of that, that streak at McHale. And then Don actually broke the streak the year after I left. So a lot of good things happened. I think in 1991, when I played against Don, I was a senior in McHale and nine out of the 10 players in the starting five. Um, for each team played in the NBA. I think I was the only one that didn't play <laughs> in the NBA. So it was, it was a lot of great talent and a, and a, and a ton of, uh, of great teams. Well, on top of your point, Matt, the next year, you mentioned the, the team that, that I was on that broke that 71 game home winning streak. There was 16 total NBA players in that game in 92. And so what I think is cool about it, Matt, just to follow up what you said, is like we were at the start of it. it. Arizona was coming on fast. I got to UCLA in 88. They had been down a little bit, hadn't been to the tournament in a few years. But Arizona was certainly on the uptick. Sean Elliott was leading that charge. 
um, and the team in 88 for you guys was a Final Four team, correct? It was, yeah. That was that was yeah. the first so, Final Four team. And, and so it's been fun to, to, to watch, not only start, you know, start the rivalry basically, and then watch it last as long as it has, has been really cool. Now you and I both announced games, Matt, and we still see it continue, but I would say this, and I, I, you guys know me well enough. I don't go to the, when I played, but we're talking about when I played. So we're going to go with the, when I played stuff, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 the, the environment in McHale is something that to behold still. And I just remember as a freshman, we had gotten off to a pretty good start and we go in there and I'm thinking, okay, I'd heard McHale is a tough place to play. I had no idea. And that first game that I played McHale, Sean Elliott broke Kareem's pack 10 scoring record in that game. I think he had like 35 right. or something. And you guys demolished us. I mean, I think he beat us by 30. And I think from that point on, at least for me, and I think we talked about it as a team, like we're not going to let that happen again. And so again, going back to the, it was pretty cool to be at the forefront of this rivalry. I think that's when it really started. This rivalry is when that game happened and how mad we were about the whooping you guys put on us. Well, and it, as you said, Don, it was, you know, UCLA, obviously, they were, UCLA, you guys were the gold standard, not of the Pac-10, but of college basketball. I mean, it was, it was the school. And I remember that game uh, because Sean, I think he had had a, a double figures, you know, kind of streak where he had scored in double figures, like practically his whole career. And on Thursday night, I think he had eight points against USC. So he was, he was mad. And he came in, he actually shaved his head, which I'd never seen him do anything like that. He was not a, a guy that was a showy guy at all. And as you said, he broke the record that night or that day. And, um, and I, I, I remember you playing, and I, I don't remember you saying this, but I, I think the, the, uh, the story goes that you actually came up to him at the free throw line after he broke it. And told him you were going to break no, his record. It, it, right? was, it was the it was the next game in Poly, and the oh, next time we played okay. you guys in Poly. And as you remember, Matt, I wasn't afraid to let people know what I was thinking during the course of the game. <laughs> and so I went up to Sean. It was in the second half, and I said to him, and it was a tight game. I think you guys ended up winning, but it was a close game, way closer than the first one. And I just went up to him in the middle, like we were lined up, he was lined up for a free throw. We were on the lane lines and I just went right into the middle of the key and said, I'm going to break every one of your effing records in the back then. <laughs> and a lot of people heard you me. And you did. I've told that story a few times on different shows because people heard me say that. I don't know if the TV picked it yeah. up, but I know people sitting courtside heard that. And it was fun last year. We had Sean on our podcast, our Inside Pac-12 Men's Basketball Podcast, and we talked about that. And I didn't know if he remembered it or not, and he he certainly remembered it. <laughs> he did, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, you know, so I've always I've always wanted to ask you this, and I think I know the answer, so it's kind of rhetorical. But I know you probably said that to talk a little trash for sure, but you believed you were going to do it, right? Hundred percent. I mean, I was off yeah. to a pretty good start. I averaged 19 as a freshman, and so I knew that it was doable. And I didn't know, obviously, injuries or if I left early. At that time, guys weren't leaving early as much yeah, as they do right. now, obviously. 
Um, but I knew that, that if I, you know, stayed on track and got better, that it was obviously a, a possibility, but it wasn't so much about telling him I was going to do it. It was more in the moment of, like you said, talking ass to him and trying to stir the pot as usual, like I like to do for my four years at UCLA. Um, the one interesting thing, the one interesting thing that, or not interesting, but the, the fact that you have to go back to is my freshman year, I was Jim Herrick's first recruit at UCLA. And that was the start of kind of the turnaround and culminating in 95 with their national championship. But think about, and we touched on it, think about the recruiting that Lute and Jim were doing throughout those years. I mean, that, that is really the, the cornerstone of keeping this, starting this rivalry and then keeping this rivalry going for years and years was their ability to bring in, you know, players that, that competed at a high level. I mean, that's, that yeah. wasn't not to take anything away from Lute or Jim, obviously, but a big part of, we know this still in college basketball, you got to have players and UCLA in Arizona had the players year in and year out in the Pac-10 and Pac-12. Well, and I thought what was cool about that was, you know, almost every player was recruited by, by each team. And, and so, mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of these guys were on the same, that was kind of also when AAU was kind of starting to really get big. And so players were playing on the same AAU team. I remember, you know, you played with Derek Martin. I remember him coming in to, to, to Tucson you know, looking at Arizona, then he was going to UCLA, like, you know, probably a weekend later. And so all the players knew each other. I mean, we were, in some ways we were friends, although I will, I will point out too, that I thought one of the things that made the rivalry great was there was some, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call go so far as to say animosity, but there were some bad guys. And for, for Tucson, if you were from, you know, if you were an Arizona fan, you know, it definitely started with Reggie Miller. I mean, he's, obviously stirred the pot as much as anybody. Arizona was the up and coming team. You know, Lou wasn't afraid to talk smack and you know, he was confident and he was believed in his team, but you know, you had Reggie that would come into McHale and it was, it was three in a row. I remember it was Reggie for a few years and that was before I got there. And then it was of course, Trevor Wilson. I mean, he, he liked to stir it. And then it was you Don. And it was, it was like three in a row of stirring the pot. And I think that, you know, those kind of things helped arrive. I, I always tell the story. And I think it was, I think it was my roommate, Judd Bushler, who you pulled the old, the old hand trick on, right? That was the, uh, you, you, Judd fell down. You went over to help him up, reached out your hand, of course, and Judd put his hand up and you pulled it back. <laughs> that was a poly pavilion, I believe. We, we, we didn't establish right off the top of what a crazy, arrogant, cocky SOB I was for four years. <laughs> at UCLA, but I guess if we keep talking, it'll continue to come out. It'll continue. Um, you know, it's, it's funny with Lou, that, that my senior year, that game that you weren't involved in, Matt, when we broke the streak, I got going with Lou early because I got it going early in that game. I think I had 38, but got it going in the first half, and I started yelling at Lou, and he was going crazy. So in the second half, we're up. It's close, but we're up. And I baited, I think, Wayne Womack into a foul. Like, I was trying to get post position. It just flopped and got the call. And because I had already been, you know, talking with Loot, I guess you would say, or yelling at Loot, um, he went crazy. And when, when I got the foul, he gets teed up. He takes his jacket off, throws it into the crowd. He's going ballistic. 
and this is probably with like five or six minutes left in the game. I go to the free throw line. So I get the foul. We're in the double bonus. I get two, two free throws plus the two technical free throws. I make all four and go double arm in the air to the student section. <laughs> and, and which was not that, not that much out of the norm for me, but what I'm getting to is that when the game ended and we won, like I literally was fearful that something was going to happen. And if you watch the game, I still have it somewhere. I haven't watched it in a long time. The minute the horn sounded, I sprinted off the court into the locker room. Cause I literally thought that something was going to happen because I've been stirring it with loot. I've been stirring it with the right. student section. And I mean, that rivalry at that point was already so big anyway, that, that, that the fans were going crazy no matter what. But because right. we had, or I had stirred it up so much, I was literally fearful that somebody was going to come out or throw something at me or something like that. Well, and, and on top of it, as you said, I mean, you broke the streak. That was the team that broke the streak. It was 71 in a row. And, um, I mean, that was by far, and I didn't, no one was even close in the country. And it was, it yeah. was four years, and it was almost five years. It was almost a five-year streak. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned Mikhail. I mean, obviously, I, I, so I was not in that game that you broke it. I remember I was sitting in the front row right behind uh, the bench, and I remember, I think it was Derek Martin hit the shot over Damon Stoudemire in, in that game to, mm-hmm. to win it, even though you had to. I, I still say, and with all due respect, and I, I, I you know, we, we, a lot of us didn't like each other when we were playing, but we, I think, really respected each other off the court. And I've, I've always said, I've always said your game was probably the best Probably it wasn't the highest scoring game. I think to this day, I think Jimmer Ferdet had like 49 or 50 is the McHale record for an opposing player. But I think it was the best game that anyone's ever played in McHale, especially the circumstances we just mentioned, the rivalry, the Pac-10s on the line, the streak was on the line. But I was going to mention, you know, for me playing at McHale, I certainly felt all of the, the, the you know, the, the amazing home court and like, Gary said 64-0, I was lucky enough to be on all those great teams. But as an opposing player, when you go into Pauly, and I'd be interested to hear how you feel, Don, as a home guy playing in Pauly. But when you're a visitor as a kid, you know, you grow up and you look at Pauly, and you just the thing that hits you is just the championship banners. And it's, you know, everybody puts banners up of, you know, hey, I, I you know, went to the Sweet 16, or we went to the tournament even, or you know, won the Pac-10 or something, and you guys only put title banners up. And I just, mm-hmm. I, when you walk in there, there was something special about Pauly that was in no other arena that I ever went into in college basketball. Not, I mean, there was just something about it, that feeling and the, the championship, and you think of the players and Al Cinder and Walton and everybody, you know, and it just it blows you away. Well, getting back real quick, and then I'll talk about Polly, but getting back to what you said about that game, and I appreciate you saying that, I've said forever that that's the best game I've ever played um, because of what was on the line, the circumstances, the way uh, you guys were trying to guard me, um, you know, but just really the, 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 the enormous ramifications of that game. And, you know, to come up and, and play the way I did. And, and it wouldn't have mattered if we hadn't won, but to play that way and then win the game and break that streak, that was by, I, I won't say by far, but that is the best game I ever played as a basketball player, all things considered. Um, 
Yeah, and you, and you um, probably had some big NBA games. Yeah, yeah, point-wise. I never played really on any very good teams. But, <laughs> um, you know, the thing about Pauly, Matt, is, is when I went there, you felt the, I don't want to say the, the pressure, but you certainly feel the expectation of it. And, you know, late 80s, it was still UCLA. We can talk on another podcast on whether or not UCLA is still UCLA in terms of magnitude and blue blood and national prominence. But at that time, there was still heavy, heavy expectation at UCLA. And, and I felt that, but I also felt like I could rise up to it. And we were spinning it back around. I mentioned Coach Eric was in his first year. He gave me a tremendous opportunity to be myself and, and be who I was as a player. And I think I figured it out early. Um, but once you get past that, Matt, and you kind of get into the program and you get into playing, you know, we had great crowds back then. It was sold out every game. But I never really kind of stood around and looked up, if you will, and looked up at the banners. I, I was kind of focused on what we were doing and trying to win games right. and trying to get back to the tournament. Um, and that's why I said when, when I knew we were doing this podcast, the thing that I thought about was how cool it was to be at the forefront of this rivalry because it's really when it started. And in my four years, it just escalated every year. Every game seemed to be more meaningful. Every game seemed to be more physical. Every game seemed to be more like there was more on the line. And yeah. so I think Pauly, when, you know, the crowds were good for whoever, but like I think when UCLA came to Tucson, but when Arizona came to Pauly, I mean, it was, it was something to behold. The energy in the building, the intensity in the building, and then the players, you know, let it play out. And, and it really was the guys who could handle the, 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 I guess the enormity again of the game. Like there's some guys that liked it. There's some guys that didn't. And usually the guys who did, or, or the more guys who did on either of the teams won the game. And yeah. there were some great individual performances along the way in, in this rivalry when I was at UCLA for sure. Well, you, John, you mentioned, um, yeah, go ahead, Gary. No, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, Don mentioned the players and, and, and the energy and the crowd and all that. I, Tracy Murray played with you, Don, when you were a sophomore or junior? He was a year behind me, so I was a sophomore when he was a freshman. Okay, so I remember being in, I remember being in Pauly, and you talk about this a lot. We both talk about this when we do games on, on TV, that, you know, in, in big games, the, the game speeds up. And, and we, we talk about a lot with smaller schools. They'll play in McHale or in Pauley, and the game gets really fast for teams that aren't used to it. And I just remember as a player, um, you know, and I, 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 didn't, I started for three years at Arizona, and I remember you know, playing a lot of really big games. But when we would play in our game, you know, the speed of everything changed. Everything was quicker. Every, I mean, the, the, the things were happening so fast. And I remember the year you were a sophomore, Tracy Murray was a freshman. I didn't even know who he was. And you guys had a, an incredible starting lineup and you got off to a start. It was like, you guys were up like 25 to six or something. And I remember looking up and Murray is raining threes from 30 feet. You're raining shots from everywhere. We're down, you know, we were down so fast. So, I mean, it just it, it, everything happened so quick. 
And as a player, it's just, it's hard to even describe to people what that's like. And, uh, and I would feel even the same thing in McHale you know, even at home, how fast the game really got. Yeah, it can get away from me. And I know in a few of the, those games that I played in against Arizona, like my freshman year, we already discussed that game got away from us in the first three minutes. It was over. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, about Pauly in those Arizona games, and I don't know why this sticks out, but it does. Back in those days, a lot of those games were on ABC. And the lighting in Pauly was different than it is now. And they used to have to install huge lights and you could only see them like where they were positioned. It only affected you on the baselines. Like if you were on the baseline and you looked up at the rim, those lights would kind of be right in your face. And as our yeah. old friend Dan Bellomini used to call me the master of the baseline, those really affected me um, when we played you guys. So I remember changing my approach. And I told Coach Eric, I said, you know, when these lights are up there, I don't like it. So we need to get different action to get me in different spots because I don't want to spend as much time as I normally do on the baseline. And I just thought that that was interesting and it popped into my brain as we started talking about Pauly and the Arizona games. And it did feel like when we played Duke my senior year in Pauly, same thing, those bright lights on the baseline. Um, sure. But that was another that was another thing, like in terms of how big the, the UCLA-Arizona games were is that they were on ABC almost every time. And that was that that made it even more meaningful as well. Well, and as a kid, you know, we'd have we'd have I mean Keith Jackson, you know, you talk about just a legend, you know, he would be doing the game with Dickie V. And Dickie V would rarely ever come out to the to the West Coast. I mean he would do like yeah. two games a year. He'd do our game and maybe us and Duke or you and Duke or something like that. And I just, you know, it did, you know what dawned on me, Don, is is why you scored over twenty six hundred points. And I only scored about a thousand five or ten or something. Is that you were focused on all the things about scoring? I was looking around the arena the whole time. I told you about the, the banners, and the one thing that I remember about Paulie, it just clicked into my mind. And Gary, you'll you'll appreciate this as a baseball guy. That um, I remember talking to my grandpa about how he loved baseball and. You know, and I I used to ask him, like, who did you see? And he said, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, Babe Ruth play and this guy play. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it, like, that that, you know, the connection between him and those legends. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming out in the layup line, and I, w- and I remember looking over Don and seeing Luke, you know, talk to John Wooden. And mm-hmm. I remember just watching that in the layup line, and I was, I was just kind of awestruck, I guess, you know, thinking, hey, need to remember this you know this is this is you know something i'll, I'll always remember and, and noticed you know about those games yeah i spent a lot of time talking with coach wooden at the direction of coach eric when i was in the midst of all my antics um not only yeah. in games but in practice and i did spend a lot of time with coach wooden and he helped you know he he, he made me see the light and by the time i got to my senior year i had kind of slowed down for the most part with all that was just focused on the game. But um, coach Wooden's presence was certainly there. And, and back then he was at every home game. There was a line out the door to get his autograph before every game. He would sit there and, and politely and go through everybody till everybody's stuff was signed. And then he would watch the game, but never came to practice coach Wooden only to the games. And he felt like it wasn't his place that it was coach Eric's time to coach the team. I know that Coach Eric and Coach Wooden spent time together talking about our team and basketball in general, but 
Coach Wooden never came to practice, but was at every home game that I played in. Don, let me ask you, because I, I mean, he's one of my heroes, and I keep the pyramid on the wall as a reminder of maybe how to get things done. Uh, mm-hmm. John Wooden was so quiet, uh, set during games, never paced, said if you weren't ready by the time the game started, you weren't going to change it while the game was going on, stuff like right. that. How, when you first met him and, and you were such an opposite, not negative, but you were an opposite, what was his response to you when you first met him? Well, I think he was just trying to Gary, get me to, to, to think about um, focusing on the game and that I didn't need to do all the extracurricular talking to other players and, you know, uh, arguing with the officials and all the stuff I was doing. I think more than anything, he was just trying to get me to see that I was a good player and that I didn't need to do all that stuff. And that's really what it was about because my performance was there. The, the production yeah. was there and it was never about me being ready to play. And I think we looked at it last year in 127 games. There was only four games that I didn't score in double figures. And so it wasn't about anything I was doing performance wise. It was simply about, Hey, you're acting like an idiot. Just play basically. (laughs) (laughs) That would be John. Yeah. (laughs) Matt, let me ask you, I want to bring another name up. So so we have a chance at least, uh, Steve Kerr, uh, a teammate of yours. Uh, tell us a little bit about that relationship. I I didn't hear Gary about Steve. Yeah. Yeah, about Steve Kerr and the relationship that uh, you had with him. Well, I was, I guess I was, um, I was lucky enough that he he blew out his knee his his going into his senior year because that meant he had to rehab for a year, and then I got to spend a year with him as a freshman. <laughs> so for me, it was very fortunate um, set of circumstances. I came in as a freshman. You know, I I probably you know, they probably recruited me a little bit thinking, hey, you know, I could be another Steve Kerr, you know, 6'2", white kid that, you know, had good skills and, and could play, maybe not the, the best athlete in the, in the Pac-10. And, um, and and Don's probably laughing even harder at that inside. But it, it was, it, he was, Steve was amazing. The first experience I had with Steve in a big game, and I've always said this about him, you know, he he's, he can make really big moments small and he, he's, he has such a good sense of humor. He's a, he's such a real guy and just a normal guy. And I remember, um, our first big game as a freshman in the Alaska shootout and we had blown someone out. We were ranked like 16th in the country. No one really knew who we were. And I knew I could just tell from our team is like, Hey, we got something here. No one in the country knows about. We had Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, Tom Tolbert, Craig McMillan, Anthony Cook, Sean Rooks, who was a 12-year NBA guy, was a redshirt. We had such a good team. Judd Bush, Bushler was on the bench. Kenny Lofton, almost a Hall of Fame baseball player, was coming off the bench. And we, we, we beat Michigan in the second game. We had Syracuse in the final. And they had um, Ronnie Cycling and Derek Coleman. And I remember going to the game in the back of the bus. Steve somehow had one of those little TVs. And if you think of technology in 1987, you know, it wasn't very good. And he had the antenna up. And he's in the back of the bus and we're heading to this game. And I'm nervous. And I wasn't even playing that much at all as a freshman. I probably wouldn't have gotten into the game. And I'm nervous about the game. It's my third college game. And he's watching the ASU U of A football game. And he was, you know, such a big U of A fan. 
It was, I think, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, which was always that game. And I've just, I was blown away by, you know, him and the moment. Like, he cared about the football game. And just, he wasn't taken aback by the pressure. And I'm sure that was maybe one of the ways, you know, he dealt with it. But he was, he was an incredible leader. Um, he was, a, um, you know, he didn't do it by yelling at anybody. He was just, he was funny. He was fun to hang out with. And he was, he was just a ridiculous shooter. I mean, I can tell you a ton of stories about what we did and, you know, night shooting. And I was a pretty good shooter, but his, his shooting accuracy, his ability, Gary, it was stunning to see it like in practice, you know, and just shoot like when you would shoot at night with the managers. But how about that? The fact that Steve Kerr, six, two white kid from the Palisades ends up being kind of the starter of the run for Arizona in Lute Olson and you yeah. guys. Like he was like the first guy who would have ever thought that. And who would have ever thought that he would have had the pro career he had and now the the coaching career that he's had. I guess the coaching part's not surprising, the playing part maybe a little bit, but if we're talking about this rivalry like the beginning of Arizona being Arizona kind of starts with Steve yeah. Kerr. It, it really does. And how crazy is this, Don? You think back, he's from the Palisades. His dad was a professor at UCLA. Steve was a ball boy at UCLA, loved UCLA growing up, but was recruited by really nobody. Um, I think Arizona was the only big power, you know, five, six conference to give him a scholarship and, and all that happened. And, and I just, he's been a guy that, you know, you see people that are successful and and they deserve it and there's there's no there's no better you know example than him i mean he's he's just the the, the greatest guy i mean he treats every single person um you know just spectacularly and and i couldn't you know just one of my best friends and and i'm just he's a hall of famer now don think about that he's a, he's in the hall of fame as a coach yeah. for sure and he's probably in the hall of fame as you know what i think they do as a player and a coach and i think as a you know, just your basketball, uh, your life or whatever. I'm not sure the, the term right. is. Um, but, you know, you think of his, his, he was one of the best announcers in the game. He's, you know, working with yeah. Marv Albert on TNT. Um, it's just, I mean, he, everything he's touched has turned to gold pretty much. <laughs> All right, I'll give you a final chance if you want to uh, take a shot at one another or just, or just if there's one more story, anything else you'd like to add? Cause uh, we've actually already gone through a half an hour incredibly. Uh, so uh, to either of you, Matt, Don. Well, I think for me, um, one story that, that one of the, we both work at the PAC 12 network, me and Matt. And one of the best things I've done since I've been there is about four or five years ago, I got to sit down with Luke. Um, we did a half an hour show with him and I interviewed him and it was, it was really interesting. Just like this has been really interesting to hear Matt's thoughts. Me and Matt have known each other for years, but haven't really just locked in on talking about the rivalry. Um, but going back to all this that's been said before that, when I started doing UCLA radio, when I retired from playing, I remember the first time UCLA played Arizona and Polly. And because of all that stuff, when I used to, you know, get under Luke's skin and do all the stuff mm -hmm. I did. I wasn't sure how he was going to react. And I, I needed to interview him before the game for our radio, for our pregame. And so I was a little bit nervous. I'm like, you know, is he going to say, you know, Don F you, is he going to, you know, and, but Luke, Luke couldn't have been better. And that was like, that was like in 2003, 2004, I think. 
Um, and then when I got the chance to sit down with them, it was really cool. And what I love is that I, I think back of all the, the competition and all the fierce rivalry and all the stuff that went on that here I am at almost 50 years old and I get to sit down with Ludos and we did a podcast with Sean Elliott and talked about UCLA Arizona and now sit here and talk with Matt Muehlbach about the UCLA Arizona rivalry. And, and it really brings back the feeling of how special it was. And again, I go back to the first thing I said that I feel proud that we were kind of at the, at the start of it, at the forefront of this rivalry and that it's still going strong today. Yeah. Amen to all that, Don. It's, uh, I'm not sure I can really add too much. As, as Don, I think for me, the relationships, you know, and Don touched on it. Um, I mean, I didn't know Don at all uh, when we started this and, and, uh, and probably didn't like him. And I'm sure he didn't like me. And so it was, that, that was, that's what makes a great rivalry. And, and now I've developed these relationships with, with guys like Don. And it's awesome to, you know, work with him and, and see him and connect. Uh, Tracy Murray's I mentioned, guys like, uh, you know, Gerald Matkin, the guy I played with in high school, and you just you just see all these these people, and and uh, I'm incredibly fortunate. I just I'm just so lucky and grateful to be part of the 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 Arizona program, but to, to make it you know that rivalry with UCLA, it's just it's phenomenal. Guys, we really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, just as a fan, I can't tell you how much I love to just listening to these stories because this is what sports is all about, and to hear it from the guys who who are involved in playing in it is a, is an absolute treat. So to both uh, Don, Matt, thank you so much for being so open about it and uh, for doing this with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. And that's going to end uh, this chapter of the sports rivals. To learn more about this uh, episode and others, you can log on to the sports and you can join the conversation, questions, suggestions for future shows. Also, follow us on Instagram at The Sports Rivals, Twitter at Rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for The Sports Rivals podcast. Thank you all for listening in. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did doing it. And remember, it's the rivalries that make the games.